Well, it is uh, most definitely a sincere blessing to be among you again. And uh, it is my hope that today and over the next uh, few times that I come to fellowship with you, uh, that we will be looking at the book of Philippians. I like to do book studies um, mainly because it helps us to see context, helps us not to pull things out of context. Topical studies are good as well. But I think that it also helps because when you're doing a book study, you can start a foundation and you can build thereon and hopefully thereby um, you know, add truth to truth and get a more complete picture, but also hopefully it helps us to remember it and sticks with us a little longer. So we'll be in um, Philippians chapter or yeah Philippians chapter 1 today and we're going to try to cover the whole first chapter so this is by no means extremely exhaustive but I trust we will find it a blessing as we look into the word of God for those of you keeping notes I have three points the first one is the fellowship of the gospel The second one is the furtherance of the gospel. And the third one is the fruit of the gospel. And before I get too far into this, I just want to let you know that after the luncheon, our brother Ben Biorley will be addressing us. Uh, He gave me the opportunity in May, and so I, I thought that it would be good to return the favor. So Ben will be addressing you after lunch. I trust and pray that you won't fall asleep on him. (laughs) But if you do, he won't mind. (laughs) So, anyway, let's open in a word of prayer and then we will open the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for its truth. We thank You for its timelessness. That though these words were written... uh, almost 2,000 years ago, that they are just as true today as they were the day that in that prison cell Paul wrote them. And we know as well that he wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we invite that Holy Spirit to be with us today as we seek to interpret in a right way your word and to follow it fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I say all the time, but it bears repeating, I hope that you will take what I have to say with a grain of salt and that you will study these things out for yourself um, because it's my job as a minister to encourage your study of the Bible, not to facilitate your only study of the Bible. I firmly believe that. We all need to have our own personal relationship God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So He wants to be spending time with you this week and always. We're going to start by reading the first ten verses of Philippians chapter 1. I hope that you are there and that you can follow along. And of course, this first point, once again, is the fellowship of the gospel. Paul writes this, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints 
in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, for God is my record how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve those things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ Jesus, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Now there's a lot here in this first point, but I think I just want to say by way of introduction that one of the things I truly appreciate about the book of Philippians is that there isn't a whole lot of reproof in this book. Most of this book is centered upon encouragement. And that says a lot about the Philippians, because it says that Paul was encouraged by where they were in their spiritual walk. I also like about the book of Philippians that there's definite signs of balance. You know, we often talk about God's sovereignty... In our responsibility. I think this book bears it out probably more clearly than any other place in Scripture. Although it is seen in other Scriptures, I just like the way this book lays out God's sovereignty versus our responsibility. And how both of these, somehow, in ways that we can't fathom with our finite mind, exist. And I I like to think about this. First of all, in Paul's greeting, he doesn't exclude anyone. There is no... I mean, there's obviously a leadership in Philippi that he's writing to. But he does not make a distinction and only greet the leadership. He greets the leadership and he greets all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Showing that Christ is what's important here. Paul starts with Christ because Christ is what's most important. And you'll find when we get to Philippians chapter 4 that he ends with Christ because Christ is what's most important. Then Paul goes and he says by way of encouragement, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. And I, I have a challenge for you 
We talk a lot about outreach. And I have no problem with outreach. I think we need to be reaching into our community. We need to be sharing the gospel. That's very important. Cannot be overstated. That's important. But my sister, before she left, when she got married, to go to Hawaii, she said something that made me think. She said, our church does a lot for outreach. But she said, where is our inreach? And that really struck me. Because we talk about outreach, we talk about reaching the lost. But we need to be reaching each other as well. We need each other. We need to be encouraging one another. Is there anybody that you that these verses can apply to them. Are you bringing your church family and other godly believers that you know before God and being able to say of them, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Because this was true, not just of the not just of Philippi, but of every church that Paul visited. This was his attitude. He said, I thank God for you always in my prayers. You read this in, the, in, the, in Colossians and in Thessalonians. It's a common theme of Paul's. That he's thankful for these people. And he's naming them at least by the region where they, where they are. He's naming them by name. And saying, I'm thankful for you. And I remember you in my prayers. That, to me... It's a sobering reminder that as much as a, and as important as outreach is, inreach is also important. When you become a believer, you become a part of the family of God. And just like the just like the uh, human family, the organic fam- the the earthly family has become fragmented. I believe the same can be said about the about God's family. We somehow, sometimes, become so focused on outreach that our inreach is missing. So I would challenge you, if God puts a saint on your heart this week, give him a phone call, write him an email. You never know what that could, what that could do for them. I find often that at the points... When I am discouraged, God will send a message into my life from one of my friends. And I've heard from my friends that sometimes when they are discouraged, I'll call them up at just the right time because God knows that. So listen to the Spirit of God when it comes to ministering to the saints. Because Paul says in another place, he says we're to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. I think often we have that twisted around. And then, moving on, we see that Paul says he's thankful for their fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. And he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not confident in any one of these Philippians. He knows that they're dust. 
as it says in Psalms. But he is confident in their Lord. He's confident in Jesus Christ. Once again, Jesus Christ, front and center. We have this verse above our heads right here. That in all things, He might have the preeminence. And that is so important. And it just says, I'm confident that the work that Jesus began in you, He's going to finish. Remember that when He was on the cross, He said three of the most important words in all of history. He said, it is finished. Not started, not partial. It is finished. The work is done. And uh, he, he's talking about having them in his heart. Once again, a, a strong term of, of being clearly um, taken with these these. Philippian believers and just having a love for them that God had given them. Do you ever stop to think for a moment that this was the same man? Of course, we're never the same when the Spirit of God indwells us. But this was the same man in an earthly sense that was on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians, to throw them in jail. And he had sat at the, at, at the stoning of Stephen and guarded the coats. And he watched them stone Stephen. And he watched Stephen say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And this same man that was zealous for the law, zealous to kill Christians, He can write these words after a transformation by the Holy Spirit. For God is my record how greatly I long for you with all the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. This man was not filled with love before the Damascus Road. But after the Damascus Road, he was different. And his response was, what would you have me to do? Why? Because an encounter with Jesus Christ will not leave you the same. It can't. Even the Pharisees who chose to reject him, their encounters with him didn't leave them the same because they became even harder. And then, I think it's kind of interesting that he talks about your love abounding more. And then he says, in knowledge and all judgment. You know, one of the most quoted verses by the world today is, Judge not, lest ye be not judged. And yes, I as a human being cannot stand in judgment of another human being because I am faulty, I am a failure, I am guilty, I am evil. But as a minister of the gospel and as a messenger of His Word, I can use the Word of God rightly and speak of God's judgment of sin. We are to love. But we are to speak the truth in love. All of the truth. 
Not just the good stuff. Jesus is a peacemaker. But there's a time coming when He will come with a sword and He will judge mankind for their sins. And if I don't preach that, then I will be held accountable for it. And then He says that He wants them to be without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. How is this possible? Apart from the Spirit of God. It's not. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart of man is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? For the God who knows my heart also has the power to give me a new heart. To take out my heart of stone and to place in its place a heart of flesh. To take a heart that knew not God nor sought Him and replace it with a heart that loves Him and wants to serve Him with my life. And He can do that for you, my friends. No other point that I have to say this morning will be of any value unless you get that right. wonder if someone could look up for me. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 1 Thessalonians 3.12 Just kind of um, underscoring this point about the fellowship of the Gospel and what that gives us. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So once again, we see that love is an important part of our lives as Christians. And that we can only love if we understand the love of God. I think it's also interesting to note that Jesus wrote in In Luke, Jesus said, Which of you having a tower or wanting to build a tower does not first count the cost and then do it lest you get halfway done? I know this is somewhat of a paraphrase, but it's Luke 14.28 if you want to look at it. Lest you get halfway done and find out that you don't have what it takes to finish it. And I'm so glad that wasn't the case with our Lord. I'm so glad He didn't look at what had to be done on our behalf and say, I can't do it. I can't finish it. No, instead, that because of the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, 
that you and I could have salvation. Alright, moving on to our second point. The furtherance of the Gospel. The furtherance of the Gospel. Paul continues in Philippians 1.12, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the Gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my, by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice yea and will rejoice Paul is talking about the fact that his imprisonment has emboldened certain members of the church to be more bold in their witness. Now this is something that the world does not understand because the world would think if we put them in prison, they will be scared, they will be scattered, and they won't want to continue to preach. But we see in the first century church that the way, one of the ways that God spread the word of God was by persecution because they ran out of Jerusalem to different parts of the earth and began preaching the word of God. And they also saw that if God could sustain Paul by his Holy Spirit when he was in a jail cell, probably tied between two guards or more, that they could go out and continue to share and that God would be with them. Remember when, when Jesus said too, when He was on the earth, He said, don't think about what you'll say when you're brought before these leaders. For in the hour that you need to speak, I will give you the words to say. So again, it goes back to reliance on God, for God is the one that began the work, and God is the one that will finish the work. And in many ways, we're just along for the ride. And sometimes we try to take a more active role and we fall on our faith and face and we have to go back to God and say, God, I couldn't do it. So you need to take over again. Because I was foolish enough to think that I could. And that's, that's sobering. And then Paul talks about these people preaching Christ vainly. They're not preaching Christ because they love Him. 
They're preaching Christ for their own glory, for their own benefit. And Paul, instead of getting upset, he says to the saints, I rejoice. Because the Word of God is preached. The Bible says, I believe it's in Isaiah, that the Word of God will not return void, but will accomplish that for which it was sent. And as hard as it is to comprehend, even when we preach the Word of God for our own benefits, it's still the Word of God, and it will still accomplish that which, would, that which God has for it to be sent. I was at a funeral about two weeks ago for a cousin of my mom and they just hired a congregational minister who didn't know them at all because they didn't have a church family. And he got up and he read scripture after scripture after scripture. And although, sadly enough, I don't believe most of the people in that room believe that scripture or understood it in its context, it was still preached and read. And hopefully, some of those words will come back to those people and they will look in the Word of God or they will come to one of us who loves and lives the Word of God so they can understand the context and be born again of the Spirit of God. I also think about my own infirmity because I'm in a wheelchair and it's not fun. Some days I'm just totally sick of it. And I wish things were different. But I believe that God has furthered my ministry and the work that He's given me to do because of my wheelchair. And it wasn't until I was able to thank Him for it, for my chains, so to speak, that I was able to really minister for His sake. Now, moving on to the third point that we have today. The third point in the final 11 verses of chapter 1. Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of Spirit in Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. 
Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them the evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. Philippians 1, 19-30 And Paul is saying by way of the fruit of the gospel, one of the most important fruits that is talked about here is that Paul knew his destiny was secure whether he was delivered from that jail cell or not. It was a win-win situation. I can almost imagine him having this conversation with jail guards and saying, the jail guards come up and they say, Paul, you know, we don't really like what you're saying. As a matter of fact, we hate it. And we could kill you for it. And Paul saying back, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. This is one of the only true win-win situations. We often talk about uh, situations that benefit us in more than one way as a win-win situation. This is the most precious win-win situation ever. Because Paul's saying, if you leave me here, I'm going to keep preaching. And I'm going to win more people to Christ. So that's a win. But if you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. So that's a win. So basically, there's no way I can lose. And that's the confidence that he had. And he had the confidence. You know, he didn't know what to choose, whether living on or whether moving on with Christ. Because he wanted to be there for the saints. But he also wanted to be in the perfection of heaven. But I think it's important for us to know and to be encouraged that it's not for us to decide where we go or when we go. But it's enough to know that whether Christ comes to get us or He takes us through the valley of death to bring us home, that He has a plan and that He will work out that plan. Going back to the first part of the chapter, that he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to
to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we know that as Paul was preparing to go to his death, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he was ready to go. But until he was ready to go, until that day, he was content to be wherever God had him. And he never stopped preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these verses, 20 and 21, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are my life verses. One of the reasons that I like this book is because a brother in Christ gave me those verses when I was a teenager. And when I looked them up and read them, I knew right away that that's what I wanted the mission statement of my life to be. And so I began studying the whole book of Philippians. And I've probably read the book of Philippians more than any other book in the Bible because of its encouragement to me. Just in closing, I want to look at these last few verses of the chapter. Because I think it's interesting what he says here. He says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. And then he says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. How often in our culture do we think about suffering as a good thing? Or how often when we're suffering, whether, whether it be physically or whether it be being ridiculed for our faith at school or at work or whatever the case may be, how often is it, remove this suffering, Lord? If someone could look up Matthew 5, 11, and 12 very quickly, we are finishing up. I won't keep you much longer, but this is so important. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. So, Jesus and Paul reflecting on the words of Jesus is saying, not only is it possible that there will be suffering, but that there will be suffering if you are following Christ and that you'll be blessed if you are suffering for Christ. Paul said in his letter to Timothy, he said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
another definitive. Paul doesn't deal with a lot of maybes or could-bes. He deals with the definitive article because he deals with Christ. And Christ does not lie. The promises of Christ are yes and amen. And so, as we move forward through our week, may we realize that we are given the privilege of suffering for Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's physical suffering, but you know what? Physical suffering, the physical suffering that I go through, is nothing compared to the torment that my Savior went through on the cross. And it's also a physical reminder because I so soon forget my spiritual need for God. He knew that I would need a physical reminder of my spiritual need. And so I pray that if you have a physical infirmity, a physical problem that even if you have prayed to the Lord and asked Him to remove it, He has not seen fit to do. Of course, Search your life and make sure that you are in a right standing with the Lord because He may be trying to communicate something to you. But if you are in right standing with the Lord and He still chooses to leave you with a physical infirmity, know that He says to you as He said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And when we are weak, He is strong, and His power will rest on us in a special way. I believe that because that's what the Bible says. And I've staked my entire eternity on the Bible. I just wanted to close with this. If you do not know the God of the Bible and His Son Jesus Christ, I urge you to trust Him today. Because the truth of Philippians 1.6 about Him finishing a work that He begun in you cannot be true until He begins it. I can also tell you that running from God will not work. I've tried it. And I can't even run. But if you let Him catch you and you let Him lay hold of you as Paul did, He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. And that doesn't mean your earthly circumstances are necessarily going to change overnight. But I guarantee you this, that eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love Him. And I'm going to be there in eternity with a new body. And I want to see all of you there. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for your minister Paul.
We thank You first of all for showing us the power of a changed life. For what Paul was was not what Paul stayed. For you, you laid hold of Paul, someone who the early church might have thought was the least likely to be saved, and he himself calls himself the chief of sinners. But you laid hold of him and you gave him a calling and you helped him to fulfill it. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone that you need to lay hold of today, that you would do that. And that you wouldn't let go until they surrender to you. I pray for each of the saints in this room that we would go forth, that we would continue to study Philippians chapter 1 and other parts of Scripture and that we would live them to the best of our ability. Knowing that without You we can do nothing, but that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.